Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Well, thanks again, Nathan, for leading us in that time of worship. That was such a blessing. Now I want to transition us to our time of getting into God's Word this morning. As we head into a new year, I'm not yet sure if it's a happy new year. Uh, I'm not yet sure how different from 2020 the year 2021 is going to be, but we as a church are actually entering the new year with a focus on prayer uh, beginning today. And this week, we want to be gathering for regular times of prayer. And as we do so, we actually just want to take our Sunday mornings for this Sunday and next Sunday to focus on the matter of prayer and see what the Bible has to say about following Jesus and the importance of prayer in our lives. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you've heard over and over again preachers and people like me telling people to pray or pouring energy and resources into prayer meetings and prayer updates. And it's my guess that some of us don't really get what the fuss is all about. I mean, why is prayer such a central activity for us as a church and as Christians? Why do we do this, especially when it seems that Gathering momentum and enthusiasm around prayer can be so difficult. Sometimes it feels like we're pulling teeth when we're asking people to pray. So we're going to consider a text this morning that brings us into our need to pray. Our need to pray as followers of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to dive into today. So I invite you to have a Bible open. We love to open God's Word together uh, and to discover what He has to say with us. So please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, and we'll read verse 10 to 20. So that's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. 
that I may declare it boldly as I ought to. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Living God, we thank you for these words that we just read, and I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come upon us and help us in our weakness to understand these words. Help us in our inability to apply these words to our life. And Holy Spirit, do your work in us today. We open our hearts and our minds. We want you to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Now, we just read a passage that comes at the end of the book of Ephesians. And as you know, it's, it's really difficult to read a letter and jump in at the end of that letter to really understand what is saying. And so just very briefly, Paul writes this letter to the church in a city called Ephesus, which was in modern-day Turkey. And in chapters 1 to 3, Paul just explodes with this announcement of the gospel, of what God has done in Jesus to bring the world back to himself and to save us. And then in chapter 4, Paul starts making the gospel really practical in terms of its implications for our lives. How, How do we walk it out? How do we live in light of the gospel? And finally, in our section, in chapter 6, verse 10, Paul starts talking about how we stand in the gospel. Look at verse 10 with me. It says, finally, as in, this is at the end of the letter, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, that you may be able to stand. And it turns out, uh, and, you know, this might be a news flash for you. It turns out that we live in a world that has been deeply broken by sin and by evil. And that there are powers at work behind the scenes that are set against God. And these are powers that we can't see with our unaided senses that want to undo God's good world. And, and you might have scratched your head when we got to verses 11 and 12, where it starts to talk about the devil and rulers, and authorities, and cosmic powers, and spiritual forces of evil. I mean, to our modern ears, that's weird stuff because we don't often think about those kinds of things or like to talk about them or we write them off as ancient superstitions. Now, I'm not here to prove to you the existence of spiritual powers, but I do want you to know very clearly that the Bible assumes their existence The Bible acknowledges their existence and Christians throughout the century who have read the Bible faithfully and, by the way, who are really smart, uh, acknowledge the presence of these powers at work in the world. It's one of the ways that we can account for just the absurdity of of some of the stuff that happens and the violence and the chaos is that there is both human evil and personal evil and moral evil, but there's also spiritual evil, these these powers behind the scenes that are pulling strings that we're often unaware of. And so what Paul is doing is he's bringing us into a realistic appreciation of the fact that we live in the midst of a clash, a clash between the kingdom of evil and, and the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of good. And when Jesus died 
on the cross, and when we put our faith in Jesus, what actually happens is we are brought from one side of the conflict to the other. We are brought from the side of darkness to the side of light. We're brought onto God's side of the conflict. And if we're going to live for Jesus, there's equipment that we need to live and to stand for Jesus in the midst of this clash that is happening. This isn't a cause to get you know, fanatical or extremist interviews. This is just a realistic appreciation of the world that we live in. And there are these spiritual powers at work. We need to know this if we're going to stand as Christians and be faithful to Jesus. Now, if we're going to follow Jesus in such a world, prayer is central. And here's why it's central. So if we go back to chapter 6, and by the way, this is a chapter that when it gets read and preached on, we often focus on the piece about the armor of God because we're involved in this fray, this battle, and so we need the armor of God. But what often happens is that prayer kind of gets pushed aside as a side matter when in actual fact, if you look at verse 18, it says this. It says, praying at all times in the Spirit. Now, I want to draw your attention to the fact that in the original language, verse 18 is actually part of the same sentence that began way back in verse 14. It's part of the same sentence. The the ESV is the only English translation I know of that actually keeps them together. In your Bible, if you look in your Bible, you probably see that it starts a new sentence or even a new paragraph. And so often we think, oh, there's the armor of God and then there's prayer. Two different matters, but they're actually together in Paul's thought. And the sense of the sentence is this. He says, put on the full armor of God Praying at all times. Put on the full armor of God. How? By praying at all times. See, prayer is not another piece of armor. Prayer is actually the activity that needs to infuse and penetrate the whole business of putting on the armor of God. New Testament scholar Peter O'Brien has this to say about the matter of prayer and its relationship to the armor of God. He says, prayer is actually given greater prominence within the context of the battle with the powers of darkness than any of the weapons listed in verses 14 to 17. He's not saying those weapons aren't important, but he's saying prayer is given more emphasis than those weapons. Why? Because Paul wants his readers to understand that prayer is foundational for the deployment of all the other weapons. That prayer is foundational for the deployment of all the other weapons. And it's therefore crucial if they are to stand firm in their spiritual struggle. The simple truth is announced to us today. We need to pray. Our need, our great need in the midst of the spiritual struggle, in the midst of the circumstances of our lives is to pray. And if we don't pray, we're not going to stand. Now, I want us to consider two key ideas about prayer this morning. First, that prayer is meant to be pervading. That prayer is meant to be pervading. And then second, that prayer, Paul says, is in the Spirit. In verse time, he says, praying at all times in the Spirit. So we're going to consider that. Prayer is pervading and prayer is in the Spirit. First, prayer is pervading. 
I mean, first of all, prayer is to pervade and infuse all those other activities of putting on the armor of God. But then notice the small but important word that is repeated four times in verse 18. The word all is used four times. Did you see that? All. He says, pray at all times. He says, pray with all kinds of prayers. He says, pray with all perseverance. He says, pray for all the saints. Prayer is just meant to be this pervading thing, our first reaction, something that we come to again and again and again and again in all these different ways. So at all times means we're to pray in and out of season. We're to pray both regularly and constantly. It doesn't matter what we're going through, whether we're in a high or whether we're in a low, we are to pray. Pray with all kinds of prayer. Now, there are many kinds of prayer, and there's almost as many kinds of prayer as there are temperament because the Spirit can embody prayer in us in, in all these different ways in line with who he's made us to be. But, but here's what I want you to hear with this all kinds um, encouragement. So often we, we look at people who maybe we, we think are spiritual and they pray a certain way and we think, ah, oh, I need to pray like that person. Especially if you're a new Christian and you're kind of awkwardly making your way into the world of prayer and, and starting your own prayer relationship with God and you feel inadequate and you feel like, I need to pray with that person. Well, when Paul says with all kinds, he's really just opening the box for all kinds of prayer, even if your prayer is a thought, even if it's just this inarticulate groan, even if your prayer is clumsy and you're like stammering and you don't know how to pray, the point is pray with all kinds, with all kinds of petitions, with confession, with thanksgiving, however the Spirit of God is leading you to pray, just pray. He also says pray with all perseverance. Now, isn't this just what we need at this time? in a time where we've been beaten down by the weightiness of what we're facing, that we need perseverance. And this alone can come from God. This alone can come from him and his spirit. And so we need to yield our wills to say, yes, I want to persevere. God, help me persevere in prayer. Because so often we don't persevere. So often we cease to pray. So often we cease to gather. And yet we're called to pray at all times. And then he says, pray for all the saints. That's the fourth all in verse 18. Pray for all the saints. Saints here doesn't mean, you know, the really holy people in the church, kind of like how the Catholic uh, denomination has their hall of saints. Uh, saints simply means Christians. In the New Testament sense of the word, it means those who have been set apart or sanctified in Jesus. So he's saying, pray for one another. Pray for Christians. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And this, this just calls us to see that the unique calling of the church is to be a people of prayer. Uh, praying at all times with all kinds, with perseverance, and for all the saints. And this has profound implications for us as a church in terms of how we care for one another. Sometimes what we call pastoral care. That prayer is fundamental to how we can live out Christ's care for us and express it towards one another. Fundamentally, the church is not a social agency. 
even though the gospel has profound and real social implications that we need to embody. Fundamentally, the church is not a school, even though the church certainly is a learning community of disciples or students gathered around Jesus. What the church fundamentally is, is a house of prayer. It's a house of worship. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. And this is our distinct calling and unique gift to offer to the world and to offer to one another that we would pray. That we would become people of prayer who then start to embody what they pray in their lives. And that we would start to see our days and any time we're given as an opportunity for us to be part of the answer, God's answer to our prayers to say, Lord, do this and use me to that end. Lord, may your kingdom come. And may you use me that your kingdom would come. Lord, would you be with the poor? Would you care for the poor? And would you use me to care for the poor? So that I'm not only praying for the poor, but I'm giving to the poor. That my heart is being opened to receive those who are different from me or less fortunate than me. That's how the movement of prayer is, is, is meant to, to kindle us and unite us as the church on mission for God. So f- prayer is to be pervading. It's just to be natural. It's to be what we do, our first instinct, like as natural to us as breathing. And secondly, prayer is in the Spirit. Paul says, praying at all times in the Spirit. Now, this is not talking about some kind of spiritual technique. This isn't talking about using certain words or being really expressive or um, talking in a way that no one can understand you. No, this is talking about the fact that when we come to pray, the Holy Spirit of God has already been initiating and at work to bring us to the place of prayer. To pray in the Spirit is to acknowledge the Spirit's initiation, is to acknowledge the Spirit's guiding us in prayer, and it's to acknowledge the Spirit empowering us to pray. You see, this is such good news for us, that we pray in the Spirit because it means that we do not pray alone. We never pray alone. Even when you're alone at home in your living room or in your bedroom, you're never really alone because you pray in the Spirit. This is such good news that the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, comes alongside us, draws us into the place of prayer, is the presence of Jesus with us, and is empowering us to pray in line with his will, to be in conversation with him, to be in communion with him. Now, You might be in a really hard place in your life. You might feel like, as Paul calls us as Christians to stand firm in the gospel, you might feel like you're on your knees. You might feel like you're in fetal position, just crumbling under the weight of what you're facing. Prayer is not meant to be a heavy word to you this morning. Even though it's often the case that one of the underlying causes of of when we feel dry in in our walk with Jesus can be prayerlessness. I mean, prayerlessness is is a real problem for us as the church. But I don't want to cast you back onto yourself and just guilt you into praying more because that's not what the call of the gospel is doing, is calling us to this morning. What you need to see 
is that prayer happens in the Spirit. In other words, God is on your side. God is on your side. It's often the case that we approach prayer as a way to get us onto God's side, to say, I'm going to pray and then God's going to love and accept me, or I'm going to pray and then I'll be on his side. But we don't pray to get God on his side or earn his favor. He's already on your side because Jesus brought you over to his side through the cross. Jesus has done everything to justify us before God, to bring us into this intimate relationship of prayer where we can just come boldly through him into the presence of our Father and say, Father, with all kinds, at all times, with all perseverance and for the saints. This is such good news. And if you're in that hard place, what I want you to hear is the good news that Jesus has brought you onto God's side, that you're not praying to perform, you're not praying to earn God's favor, but that prayer is a movement of grace and love and thanksgiving. It's communion. It's a conversation with the one who loves you and gave himself for you. Let that good news draw you to want to pray. We need the gospel to transform and infuse our idea of prayer if we're going to pray at all times with all kinds in the way that we're called to pray as Christians. So prayer happens in the Spirit, and that is such good news for us. And the second implication of prayer happening in the Spirit is this, is that prayer is not only private and personal. Prayer is not only individual. But that prayer is something that in the Spirit we are called to do together. And I say that for three reasons. Actually, it's four, but uh, really it's three reasons from the text itself. Uh, the first is grammar. Every single verb and pronoun in this text is given in the plural. This is not saying to one person, you pray, uh, you put on the armor of God. This is saying to all of us, you plural. Put on the armor of God. Pray at all times. The second reason I say this is something we need to do together is because of the context of the book of Ephesians. The bedrock theme in Ephesians is the unity of the church, believe it or not. The unity of the church is the bedrock theme of Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 2, some of you will remember that famous call to make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit doesn't happen just with one person. It's, it's something that happens with all of us around Jesus because Jesus has reconciled us both to God and to one another. And lastly, the reason that I emphasize that this is um, corporate, that we can't only pray alone, but we need one another to pray, is simply because of the metaphor of the armor, is the metaphor of the armor of God. Now, I've never put on armor. I've never seen anyone in real life put on armor. It's not part of our world and culture. But here's something that every ancient person would have known, is that you do not put on armor alone. It's just too big. It's too cumbersome. You need to get the straps adjusted just right for the armor to fit you well. And so you don't do it alone. You get someone else to help you. I mean, if you like to watch medieval times movies, you'll see that a knight always has what? 
A knight always has a squire. They always have a squire whose duty it is to tend to the armor of the knight and to help them put it on and take it off and clean it and all that. You don't put on armor alone. And in the same way, we don't dare put on the armor of God alone. We don't dare just keep prayer private. But that this needs to be something we do together. Maybe you're at a point where you've been kind of going it alone and trying to do this alone and pray alone and follow Jesus alone. And I just want to invite you to reach out and to connect with us, to get connected with a small group or to get connected within his presence this week. You can sign up for that in the show notes below. But here's another practical next step I want you to consider is that you would just think, about if there's one person you could call this week, one person you could touch base with and ask to share their sorrows and to share their joys of the week and to just pray together. And this could take 15 minutes. A lot of us already have prayer partners and, and that's an amazing thing to do, but a lot of us don't. And so I encourage you to think about that. If you would try that this week and even if that could become an ongoing practice where, where you're joining with someone else to pray together, to encourage one another so that you can stand firm for Jesus in such a time as this. The reason I really emphasize this collective nature is because in our hyper-individualized culture, the notion of us being dependent on others and us being vulnerable with others and needing others just seems so strange and so foreign. And we need to fight against um, that view of ourselves. Our formation as a people of prayer does not happen in, in an instant. It takes time and it takes learning and it takes effort. And sometimes it takes us just enduring the fumbling awkwardness of prayer gatherings. Sometimes it takes enduring and bearing with one another as we gather around Jesus together. Because truly, in Jesus, we who are many are one. We're all part of God's family. We share in the same spirit who is building us into a dwelling place for God. Now, just before I invite Pastor Nikki to lead us in prayer, because let's be honest, we can read lots of books about prayer, we can listen to sermons about prayer, but nothing replaces just praying. And so we want to do that this morning as we uh, conclude this time in the Word and then as we move into communion and then as Nikki sends us from here with a blessing. Um, so Nikki, I want to hand things off to you. Thank you so much for leading us now in a time of prayer. As we apply this to ourselves right now. So Nikki, we'll hand it off to you. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.